Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Join me in prayer, please. Father, I pray that as we continue to study Romans, that you would open up our hearts to your word and your truth as we study the scripture. I pray, Lord, that you continue to shape us and mold us and change us to look more like you by the indwelling of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me, if you will, to the 15th chapter of Romans as we continue our study this morning. Last week, we covered 15 through 16 in the 15th chapter where Paul wrote, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. As you know that Paul was used in a mighty way in how he just described himself. That he was a minister of the Gentiles. And this should not surprise us, because when you turn to Acts chapter 9, post Paul's conversion on the Damascus Road, in a conversation that the Lord had with Ananias, it describes that Paul would be used to give the gospel to the Gentile people. If you look in Acts chapter 9, verse 10, it reads, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight. And inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So it was God's plan. This isn't something that Paul figured out. It was God's plan that Paul would be a minister to the Gentile people. And this leads us to our focal passage in verses 17 and 19 in the 15th chapter of Rome, where Paul writes, Therefore, because he's been a minister of the Gentiles, therefore, it's a transitional phrase, right? Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. For I will dare not speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed, 
to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and around about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus. So Paul was saying, I am glorying in Christ Jesus. What he's doing is his He is giving glory to what Jesus Christ has accomplished through him. If you look back at the original language, glory means having a high degree of confidence. You're having a high degree of confidence. Your version may say boasting. Versions either say boasting or or glory. And With the word glory, it reminds me of Paul's famous verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17, where he writes, But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And he goes on in verse 18 of the 10th chapter of 2 Corinthians, for he says, For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. So what Paul is doing here as he writes the Romans, he's looking at so far at his life in ministry. And he's saying, I give God the glory. I'm glorying in the Lord in what the Lord has done through me. He's boasting about the work of God. He's not boasting about himself. He's boasting about what God has done. And if you think about boasting, and you think about it in human terms, it means that you are boasting in terms of power. And what do I mean about that? Let's use sports, for example. You might identify with a particular football team. And if that football team is winning, you tend to be boasting. If they're not winning, you are not boasting. Now, when I went to Baylor, Baylor was not so good in football. You could have two games where you would win and all of a sudden kids were throwing cotton balls around campus for the victory. And they got a little too ahead of themselves with the boasting part. And we do it with baseball. We do it with football. But you boast in accomplishments. And if you think about what Paul's doing here, he said, I'm glorying in the Lord. He is boasting in the power, in the power of God. And we shouldn't be surprised about this because what I'm going to show you today is what Paul is saying also applies to us in our life as believers. Because we believe in a salvation of power. Salvation has power. And if you look at John 15, and you look at the words of Christ starting in verse 1, this is what Christ said. He said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. 
You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. And the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. For without me you can do nothing. Rings true with what I read with Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 18. For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. There is power in salvation And you see that in John 15 through the words of Christ, that if you are a believer, you will bear fruit. And that fruit doesn't come from our own work. It comes through the indwelling of the Spirit. When he says, unless you abide in me. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And then later on in John 15, 5, he says, For without me you can do nothing. When we abide, we bear fruit. And we glorify the Lord. Look at Philippians 2. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. This is what Paul wrote to the Philippians. Therefore, my dear friends... Just as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but even more in my presence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to His good purpose. It's God working in you. God is working in us so that we can glorify Him. And this is what Paul is referencing here in the 15th chapter of Romans. Now, if we believe that glory means power, or glory means fruit, or glory means accomplishment, in other words, it's just not an intellectual belief that God is working in us You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a Sunday school teacher. God is working in you. That there's fruit, there's power in that. You are equipped. And that's so very important. That if we are to glorify God, we have to be equipped. And every single one of us has been equipped. And I want to give you some verses on that. 1 Peter chapter 4. And if you turn to 1 Peter 4, and you think back about that conversation that the Lord had with Ananias, and he said, he is a chosen vessel of mine to ministers of the Gentiles. Who equipped? Did Paul equip himself or did God equip Paul? God equipped Paul. And here in 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 7, it reads, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift. As each one has received a gift. 
It doesn't say that each one might get a gift. It says everyone has received a gift. Today, right now, the moment that you accepted Jesus Christ, you received a gift. You may have received one gift. You may have received a multitude of gifts. But you have received a gift. And then look at what Peter says. You've received a gift in verse 10. Minister it to one another. Minister it to one another. In other words, use it. Use it. You've received a gift. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. In other words, if I've been given a gift, if you've been given a gift, and if we don't use it, you're not a good steward. God has given you a gift and you are to use it. Just as Paul, who said, I've been a minister of the Gentiles. He was a minister of the Gentiles because that's what God told Ananias that he would be. It was given to him by God. Just as you and I have a gift, we're to use it. We're to be good stewards. Verse 11 of 1 Peter 4. If anyone speaks... Let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. In other words, God is giving you the gift. He's equipping you so that you use your gift. You're to rely on God as you use your gift. And then he gives you the reason there at the end of verse 11. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of your gift. That we glorify God. Just as Paul says, let him who glories, let him glory in the Lord. He goes on and says, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We are clearly equipped. We're equipped. 2 Timothy 3. Verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction of righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. As you come here on Sunday and as you come to Wednesday night Bible study and as you learn the things of God, it is equipping you. For you to go out into our community and live a life that will glorify God. That's why the word's so very important. Because it equips us. It arms us. If not, if we don't use the word of God, we're just like everybody else that stands around and says, Well, you know, my opinion, my opinion's this. I think, I feel. Compare that to looking at somebody and says, well, this is what God's word says on that matter. The word equips us, equips us for every good work. So we're equipped just like Paul was equipped, just like the Lord told Ananias what Paul would be used for. And God gives us that gift according to his purpose, according to his purpose. My dad was a really good basketball player. 
My dad played for Permian. If you're listening through sermon audio, it's Friday Night Lights. That's who my dad played for. When I went to my grandfather's funeral, people from the funeral came up and were reliving my dad's basketball ability, which was about 50 years prior to that. And I wanted to be just like my dad. I wanted to play basketball like my dad. And I couldn't. I did not have that gift. But oh, I tried. I have four stitches in my chin from passing out, pushing myself in basketball and spent a week in the hospital because they thought that I had heart problems because I was going to be like my dad. It wasn't my gift. My dad started encouraging me to enter into speaking contest. And he thought that was going to be a really good thing. And so he would always encourage me. So I, from junior high on, I started competing in speaking contests. And I joined the speech club. And then I joined the debate club. And anytime I would go, Dad would just really encourage me that this is what I needed to do. That this, this would be a life skill that I would have for the rest of my life. And looking back and thinking about that. And thinking about how my dad always encouraged me and he gave me good words. And of course, my dad was in sales, and so he always would give me pointers. I wouldn't be doing this today unless my dad encouraged me with something that he saw in me. Isn't that how God works? Is that... Here was Saul, a Jew that hated Christians, and God calls him out and equips him and says, you will minister to the Gentiles. Did Paul choose that? No. It was according to his plan. That's how God works. He calls us with a purpose And sometimes that purpose and sometimes that gift isn't what you and I would choose for ourselves. As I said for years, I really didn't want to do this. I really did. Now, you can't get me to stop now. But I didn't want to do this. This was not the gift that I said, oh, God, I'll do this. This is what I want to do. I didn't want to do it. And so it's important that as you and I look at where we can serve God, that we don't look to reason. We don't look to our own intellect and our own reason. We look to God. Because the human tendency is, is we start saying, ah, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. Let me give you a couple of examples. Let's go to Exodus 4. Exodus 4, verse 10. We're picking up in a conversation between God and Moses. And in verse 10 of Exodus 4, it says, Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Now, there's a lot of discussion about whether Moses had a speech impediment. 
And we really don't know. He could have just been a bad speaker. He could have had a speech impediment. Needless to say, this was Moses' logic on why he shouldn't go and do what God has called him to do. And then look at verse 11. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But he said, O my Lord, please send me by the hand of whomever else you may send. Of course, we know how that ends. It ends with Moses being coupled with Aaron. But Moses doesn't stop there with the excuses. In Exodus 6, he says, God, I have uncircumcised lips. Well, what does that mean? I have uncircumcised lips. It means that he said, I'm going to get something wrong. I'm not going to treat your word the way that it should be treated. Sound familiar? Oh, I'm not called to witness. I'm sorry, everybody's called to witness. Now, you may witness in your own way. You may found a way in which you can witness. But the Great Commission is not a choice. We all have different gifts. And we've all been put in the body to exercise our specific gifts. But everybody is called to witness. But how many times have we listened to the devil? Oh, you're going to say something wrong. In our trip to Israel, Michael Rodelnik, as he was speaking to the group, said something that I thought was profound and important. He said, if you look at Paul in addressing crowds that did not know Jesus, he always spoke of his personal experience. Now, you may not have the Roman road memorized. You may be uncomfortable pulling out a track. You may be uncomfortable pulling out your Bible. But we can all talk about our personal experience with the Lord Jesus Christ, can't we? We can all do that. And that's really where we are in today's society is we are we going to keep our mouths shut as the world slides to more and more moral decay? Are we going to stand up and say, this is what my experience has been with the Lord Jesus Christ? You can't get that wrong, can you? You may forget a Bible verse. You may not be able to reference the chapter in the verse. But you are not going to get your personal experience with the Lord Jesus Christ incorrect. It's what you've experienced. The the joy and the peace and the grace that you've experienced with the Lord is something that you can convey to someone else. I spoke to someone yesterday. She was telling me on the phone that she was feeling guilty about her father passing away and getting his earthly possessions. I said, that's an absolutely normal experience. I said, I experienced that myself. After the passing of my in-laws and the passing of my mom, I felt guilty. I said, I know exactly where you're at. She sent me an email and said, thank you so much for the compassion that you showed me in our conversation yesterday. That was my own personal experience that I could relate to her. 
We can all do that. That means that you're going to have to be comfortable in sharing the truth of Jesus Christ. And we shouldn't be ashamed. Just like Paul, I am not ashamed. We should be that way. I am not ashamed. Just like Moses, the tendency is, well, I can't do those things. I'm not equipped. I'm not ready. And what did God tell Moses? Go. Go. Let me give you another example. 1 Corinthians 2. These are the words of Paul himself. 1 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let's look at what Paul was going through as he described this to the church at Corinth. He said, I don't have excellence of speech. I don't have wisdom. But I will tell you about Jesus Christ. And then in telling them about Jesus Christ, look at how he described his personal emotions. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. In other words, he had stage fright. Right? That's normal. But he still shared his faith. We have all been given a gift. And in that gift, is a way for you to participate in the body of Christ. I said this several months ago, but to me it bears repeating. And I've seen this over my lifetime. Growing up in church when I was young, and actually going to churches that were a lot larger than this, you had the preacher, you had the music minister, You had a church secretary, and that was it. Now you go to church of any size. There's the music minister. There's the preacher. There's a youth director. There's a director to children. There is the nursery director. There are multitudes of secretaries. It's not unusual at all in a large church to have 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 people that are on paid staff. They're paid. Now, what's changed? I went to a big church that you averaged 750 people a Sunday. That's primarily the church that I grew up in. You had very few staff. We had a preacher, a music minister, we had a youth director, and if my memory serves me right, we had two or three secretaries. 750 people every Sunday. What's changed? What's changed is, is that people are not exercising their gifts in church. It's easier to pay people instead of doing what God's called you to do. That's it. And people can argue about that. 
I've had people on church staffs, large church staffs, that I've talked to, and they will tell you, we would like to get our people to do more, but we can't. So therefore, we have to pay people. Paying people isn't the exercising of your gift. It's looking at that gift that God has given you and recognizing that you are here at Mill Creek for a purpose. You know, people start looking at church attendance like you just picked a church just like you picked your favorite baseball team. There's a reason why you're here. There's a reason why I'm here. And it's the same reason why Paul was saying that he was chosen with a gift. It's to glorify God. And that's regardless of what church you go to. And whatever church people go to, they are there for a purpose, and that is to be within the body of Christ, to be within the body of Christ, and exercise that gift, just as it said in First Peter, that we are to minister to one another. And when we minister to one another, we glorify God. And in glorifying God, you can say, just as Paul says, let him who glories glory in the Lord. We don't do it to say, man, look at me. Aren't I a good person? I'm out there doing this or that. And, and I'm, I'm holy because what I'm doing. No, you're doing that gift because you are expressing your thanks in the crucifixion and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are expressing thanks because of the grace that you've been given. You are expressing thanks because you have experienced the joy of being a Christian. And you want others to experience joy. And so we minister to one another. A sign of a healthy church is that we minister to one another. I remember when I was going through my cancer. I wasn't at this church. God used the cancer to get me here. And I remember going through my cancer in the church that I was attending at that particular point in time, in a lot larger church, no one called me. Not one person picked up the telephone other than the pastor and said, I'm praying for you. Is there anything I can do for you? That should never happen within a church. That should never happen. Because we've all been given gifts. And we're to minister to one another. And we're to show love to one another. That is the purpose of why we're here is to glorify God and express our Christian love to other Christians and reflect the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what we're called to do. You can see that in the life of Paul. And it's not limited to ministers. It is for all of us to say that we can glory in the Lord. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we thank you for your truth. And I pray, Lord, that we might all exercise our gift. I pray, Lord, that we might recognize that it is how we express our love for what you've given to us. I pray that people might come to a saving knowledge of us being a true and faithful witness, that we might be light in the world of darkness. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, milkcreekchurch.org.